Well, hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Northfield Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Gordon. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be a part of the program today. As always, I want to say thanks to our friends at Outpost Coffee for providing us with incredible caffeinated beverages. Great way to end your new year. Check them out, outpostcoffeeco.com. I can't think of a better way to end the podcast this year than to have the guest that we're going to have on today. Um, his name is Seth Gruber, and he is the champion of the White Rose Resistance. He is fighting for our preborn neighbors. Uh, he is fighting against evil political systems that are trying to advance the murder of millions of children. Seth is a professional public speaker focused on equipping Christians and pro-life advocates to make a gracious, winsome, and persuasive case for their pro-life beliefs in the public square. Uh, he, Listen, his approach, while not shying away from the moral questions of abortion, focuses on giving you the tools you need to effectively and lovingly engage your coworkers, your friends, and your family members on this issue of abortion. So I cannot wait for you guys to hear this conversation between myself and Seth. I pray that it enlightens you, that it emboldens you, that it encourages you to stand firm in the public square and not to back down. Because here's the thing, Bible-believing Christians, we are right. Do not Be dismayed. Do not be afraid. Christ wins. Christ wins the war. And he has put you and I in the place that we are for such a time as this. Welcome to the Northfield Podcast, Mr. Seth Gruber. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thank you, Caleb. I'm so excited that you're on the show today to end out our year. Um, Man, I saw a little background. I heard a friend of mine sent me the link to your message that you shared at Jack Hibbs church, um, on the white rose resistance. And literally from the moment I clicked play to the end of it, I was just in awe of your message and I I loved it. And so I just thank you that you're champion championing, championing the, uh, the, our preborn neighbors and your message. And so I just wanted to have you on the the podcast just to talk about your ministry and what you do, uh, to help advance, um, the pro-life agenda. Yeah, well, thank you, Caleb. No, I appreciate it. It's good to have other voices that are, you know, trying to saturate the digital marketplace with good ideas, yeah. um, as, as it is it is the new public square, and so I'm grateful for the work that you do. Um, and yeah, thank you. That's very kind of you. Uh, this is, I, I mean, this is a real turning point, um, you know, hat tip to Charlie Kirk, but it, it's certainly true. This is a turning point for the Republic. People never realize that they're living in a Kairos moment until their grandchildren uh, talk about it 80, 100 years later and go, hey, that was a Kairos moment back when Grandpa was silent on that Holocaust or injustice or whatever it is. Right? Right. C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Right? <laughs> we, we stand in 2022 and we look down our nose at, uh, let's say, Christians who were apathetic towards the institution of chattel slavery, right? or, or were actually voting for the Democrat Party that was pushing slavery uh, during yeah. that time period. And, and we mock them and we revile them and we say, you know, how could they have been Christians? How, how could they have claimed the name of Christ? And, and yet we're as silent on this Holocaust, and many Christians yeah. are as involved in the culture of death today. And so it, it takes a certain level, I think, of spiritual clarity. I think it takes a certain level of humility. To, to realize and acknowledge that, hey, I, I'm living in one of those times again right now. Absolutely. Um, and so how, how am I going to live, according to Acts, in, in the boundaries 
of the place that God has set me, right? It's not an accident that uh, I live in Kansas uh, and moved here several months ago in 2022, right? It's, it's not an accident that you pastor where you pastor. Uh, you know, God has a, a, a purpose for the uh, spheres of influence that he has placed us in. And so I think, I think the church is maybe starting to stir as if from a long a coma yeah. and start to realize and say, what have we wrought? Um, through our apathy and our abdication. And so this White Rose Resistance National Life Tour and the namesake of the organization, which is the namesake of the first and original White Rose Resistance in Nazi Germany, this is you know, my brainchild. This is what I believe God has given me for this Kairos moment that the church and the country and the society is in right now. Because while abortion is our Holocaust, it's actually greater than that um, because it, it's, the, it's the linchpin upon which secular liberalism swings. Oh, man, it's the yeah. centerpiece of, of the religion of secular progressivism. It's how they animate and prop up their entire political regime, Caleb. So for people who say, hey, Caleb, hey, that, that's so cool that you get all fiery from the pulpit preaching on life. Oh, that, you know, that, okay, that's nice that you had that weirdo Seth out to talk about life. And, you know, that's all fine and good, but, you know, Caleb, I'm not called to the pro-life fight. You know, I'm called to something else. Mm. Uh, and by the way, yes, God calls people to specific things. But if you, if you fail to realize the significance of child sacrifice in America today and the central role that abortion plays in the culture wars, you will one day be reviled by your children and grandchildren yeah. for your abdication and silence on what I believe we as Christians, Caleb, should call Satan's sacrament. It, it's the inverted Eucharist. Because yeah. abortion says, you must die so I can live. But Christ says, no, I must die so you can live. Come on. Um, and so I'll finish my thought with this and then put, put it back to you, my kind host. Um, if it's true, Caleb, that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, then it's equally true that the hand that wrecks the cradle ruins the world. Amen. Absolutely. 100% amen. So... I Man, you, I mean, you literally are on fire from the moment you, you step onto the platform, step, uh, pick up a phone, you're, you're like, you're ready to rock and roll with this. What, what was the, the genesis that got you to the point where you said, man, I, I can't, I can't just stay silent on this anymore. What, what was it? What was the genesis for that? Well, um, I mean, I've actually been a pro-life activist since I was a fetus. So, um, so I've been, I've been doing this work longer, longer than most. <laughs> Come on. Um, so my mother was the executive director of a pregnancy resource center in the late 1980s in oh, Los Angeles nice. County, uh, right down the street from Azusa Pacific University. And uh, she remained the director of that pregnancy center. And remember, this is the late 1980s. Um, the amount of pregnancy centers, if I recall my, my numbers, uh, Caleb, have increased um, by over 30 to 40%. Uh, I think it's over 40% increase in pregnancy centers from the mid-1980s to today. So wow. there were not very many sure. um, back then. And uh, it might have been doubled. I forget the exact numbers. But, I mean, not very many pregnancy centers, certainly not very many that were medical back then. And so she stepped down from directing that center when I was born in 1991. And then, and then I grew up doing the Walk for Life every year, being very involved in supporting the local pregnancy center. But it wasn't until high school, uh, my senior year, where every senior had to select a topic for their research paper 
presentation and fieldwork hours in order to graduate. So I selected the topic of abortion because I realized I didn't have good answers to my non-Christian pro-choice friends in high school. And that annoyed me that I didn't have very good answers beyond quoting Psalm 139, which is that's all fine and good, but what does that mean to an atheist? And so I dove into apologetics, I dove into pro-life reading and materials, but the the turning point was volunteering at a pro-life organization in Orange County, and the Christmas break of 2009, one semester away from graduating high school, and they had me scan 200 images of first trimester mutilated aborted children. Oh my gosh! So these are these are six, seven, eight, nine, and ten week old babies, Caleb. Yeah. Um, the first trimester is over 90 percent of abortions are performed in the first trimester. Mm-hmm. There's the greatest public support for abortion in the first trimester, right? Um, because for whatever stupid reason, we we associate. Um, appearance uh, with the dignity and value. And so because the baby doesn't look as human or as much like us at those early stages, the American populace has always, every time they're polled, has always tended to support abortion uh, in the majority in the first trimester. And then that support for abortion, that public support for abortion, Caleb plummets in the second and third trimester, as you well know. But here I am looking at six, seven, eight, nine-week children very human, very detailed, very beautiful, very horrific, fingers, toes, eyeballs, hands, feet, um, and these are clearly human beings. Yeah. Now, n- not that human appearance equals um, uh, human nature, human dignity, because there is a human being at the moment of conception, and obviously it doesn't look like us. Amen. But the question is not, what does it look like? The question is, what is it? Right. And it is a human being at all stages of its development. And so that was a real turning point for me, seeing bloody, mutilated little children in the first trimester. And so the, the, the answer you're probably looking for is that one. So. Wow. Yeah. I, so I, I've been, I grew up, my dad was a pastor, so I'm a, I'm a PK. And so we went to pro-life rallies. And I, I have just in the last several years, gotten involved with a friend of mine named uh, Pastor Brett Baggett down in Muskogee, and he's part of uh, a group called Rescue Those. And he invited me to come down and be a part of, uh, to stand outside of the clinics. I've never done that before and, until just a, a couple of years ago, and I, I feel ashamed. I've always been you know, very vocal that I'm pro-life, but I've, I've never stood outside of the gates of hell and, and, and pleaded for the unborn. And oh my word. The things that happened to us as we stood outside, the 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 things that were said to us, the things that were, you know, tried you know they tried to r- drive us or run us over with cars. They've they've I mean they've done horrific things to us. That were, we're just pleading for their babies and like listen, we we'll help you. Yeah. And it just blew my mind, and and to hear so many people who claim to love Christ be quiet about this is just it's it's jaw dropping and, and flabbergasting, and I I can't with good conscience any longer stay silent and and, in, in the ways of that we've done it as, as the Christian church. And and so I've, I've had to publicly repent um, to, to say, listen, this is, I have been apathetic and it's time for us to stand firm on, on what the Bible says about the pre, our preborn neighbors. And it is that they are made in the image of God and we have to fight against um, the things that are coming down the pike um, in the culture, because I, I do my dad used to say it when when I was a, he was a pastor. He said, "If we don't value the life of the unborn on on this side, when it comes to 
older people, we're not going to value life when they become useless, quote unquote, useless in our culture. And we're going to, we're going to kill our old people too. Well, that's right. Well, that's right. Yeah. Be, yeah. Because you dehumanize life at one stage, you'll dehumanize it at another. There's no limiting principle to yeah. dehumanization. There never has been. That's the history of genocide, Caleb. Dr. Mildred Jefferson, the woman who turned Ronald Reagan pro-life, and we have the letter he wrote to her after he changed his mind and publicly repented of his signing a pro-abortion legislation in California. Dr. Mildred Jefferson, the first black woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School, and the founder of the National Right to Life Committee, a woman whose name you're not going to hear in the halls of academia or the Democrat Party today because yeah. she's a black pro-life conservative doctor. Wow. Um, so she doesn't fit into their victimization, mm -hmm. uh, leftist, um, intersectional boxes. But she famously said, today it is the unborn child. Tomorrow it is likely to be the elderly yeah. or those who are incurably ill. Who knows, but that a little later, it may be anyone who has political and moral views that do not fit into the new distorted order. Um, very prophetic. She said that many decades ago. And boy, has that proven true. Absolutely. My, my White Rose Resistance National Life Tour message is basically a 70-minute <laughs> unpacking and explanation, if you will, mm -hmm. um, of her quote, um, that the unborn was one of the iterations in the ideology of eugenics. And guess what, Church? You are that next iteration mm -hmm. in the ideology of eugenics that has always determined who is fit and who is unfit to live. And once you detach human value from an objective creator, then anything becomes possible. I think it was, um, um, oh, the great Russian author who wrote the brothers Karamazov in Crime and Punishment. Um, anyway, uh, the, the great uh, Russian author who wrote uh, the brother Dostoevsky, it was uh, Dostoevsky uh, in, in his character in Crime and Punishment, uh, Reskolnikov, who famously said, um, man gets used to everything, the beast. Man gets used to everything, that beast. We do. We do acclimate and get accustomed to the culture of death. And, and it's one of the most dangerous things, because culture is to us, Caleb, what water is to a fish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's Absolutely. all we know. And so unless you're incredibly focused on being transformed by the renewing of your mind, right, and bathing in the scriptures, then guess what? Culture becomes your liturgy. The iPhone becomes your liturgy. Social media becomes your liturgy. Mm -hmm. Entertainment becomes your liturgy. And it's pushing a certain vision of human flourishing. It's presenting a certain picture of what they believe to be the quote-unquote good life. Right. And if you're not careful, if you're not committed to discipleship and to the renewing of your mind, then you will end up uh, syncretizing your faith to certain pagan ideologies, and before you know it, you'll become more of a of a advocate for the culture of death than you are for righteousness, than you are for Christianity, than you are for being a steward hmm. of the king, a son and daughter of the king. Come on, and that's the danger there. And so the church, and I'll wrap up this thought, has largely in America become acclimated to the culture of death. We participate in it, and to some degree, we can't not. I mean, unless you're willing to not order from Amazon, 
and grow your own your own freaking like vegetables, Caleb. Right, then right. You, you're going to participate in funding the culture of death to some degree because of how many corporations and industries donate to the culture of death. So to some point, it's unavoidable. But to, but outside of that, to truly be the enemy of an evil, as G.K. Chesterton once said, right? He said, unless a man becomes the enemy of an evil, he will not even become its slave, but rather its champion. Yeah. That is, that is what has happened to the American church. And so my great fear is this, Caleb, that the church won't wake up to everything I explained in my 80-minute my message of Jack Hibbs, that they won't wake up to all of that until they are defined as unwanted, as undesirable, as unfit to live. So, so the unborn, I mean, abortion is the greatest genocide in human history, but what the church has to realize is, is the, the unborn was just another iteration. Right. And what we call sec- secular humanism, you could call it eugenics, um, you could call it secular liberalism, you know, whatever you want to call it, the culture of death, the proxy war attack against the Imago Dei and the Creator. And now anyone who will stand against that genocide, who will stand in the middle of the road of the culture of death with a big sign that says, stop, you will go no further and be like Ezekiel and be like Gideon. Um, until we do that, um, then this is going to change. And so, I, and so I'm grateful for your story, and I'm grateful for you waking up to that and, and calling others to action as well. Yeah, it, it, and it blows my mind. And when I started from the pulpit demanding that we as the church, as our church, take a stand against this this culture of death, we had, we had several college students, we had some high schoolers in there, and they're so indoctrinated in in the, the education system of today that they were infuriated and several of them just said, we, we can't go here anymore because you're, you're not, you're not preaching the gospel. You're, you're getting too political. And I said, Oh my goodness, this is not political. This is a, this is a call to have of the protection of life. That is a biblical idea. That is yeah. a theological idea, not a political idea. And so it's just mind blowing yeah. that we have so many students today who are literally indoctrinated into the culture of death through the education system. Well, it's Hosea, right? It's Hosea 4, 6 all over again. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Come on. And uh, I'll tell you what, Caleb, if I could get the congregants of your church who left that church to sit and listen to my 80-minute message of Jack Hibbs, I'll tell you one thing. If they stay in their seat, um, they will leave uncomfortable. They may sure. not change their mind, but they will leave uncomfortable. And the number one response I've gotten from Christians, faithful Christians, Caleb, I'm not talking about woke, compromised, syncretistic, um, you know, <laughs> heretics sure. um, who, who call themselves Christians. No, I'm talking about faithful people who love the Lord. Um, and who preach the full counsel of God and attend faithful churches, those people come up to me and say, I, I've never heard anything. I have never heard anything that you just shared about the history of the culture of death, the eugenics movement in America, the role of abortion, the history of Margaret Sanger, yeah. um, and how she was one of the architects of the sexual revolution and the culture of death. I've never heard any of that before. I mean, so if the faithful, Caleb, um, are being destroyed for lack of knowledge, uh, what do you think the young people, what do you, how do you think yeah. that's affecting the young people in the next generation of Christians whose parents um, love the Lord but don't even understand what we're up against? Yeah. See, you, you cannot defeat an enemy that you don't understand. Absolutely. Um, and so, so I, I'm trying to <laughs> prevent the church from being destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's kind of the purpose of, of the tour, and then the organization exists to educate the public, discredit the opposition, and inspire a movement. Uh, but, you know, what she said reminds me of something Francis Schaeffer once said. He had a couple, a couple brilliant insights about the culture of death and the role of abortion. He Love said, Francis. Um, 
he said every every abortion center ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of jesus christ come on and then secondly he would go on to say if the church can't speak out against something if evil is killing a baby then the world has the right to ask whether christ is real so rather than your preaching against satan's sacrament being like, I don't know, the political prostitution of your faith, your political ideology, far from that, far from that, whatever your congregants accused you of, um, you're actually giving the culture of death a reason to listen to you. We, we've gotten the script all wrong, right? Rick Warren, Ed Stetzer, Russell Moore, I could go down and down the list, who I believe are actually enemies in the church. And, and I, I agree 100%. Probably stop listening to your podcast, unless you edit out the comment I just said, be, be, be that as it may. Um, I believe the, the, the Satan is using these people as enemies, actually, to come mm-hmm. against the Church, to come against the Orthodox tradition of the Church, um, and, and that's a lecture for another time. But they've gotten the script all wrong. They believe that they should be silent on some of these issues in order to give that megaphone effect to the Gospel. Because, right, right the people are going to leave. Well, we've been hearing this for decades, right? This goes back to, 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 uh, to Calvary Chapel and, and Chuck, right? As much as I'm grateful for Calvary Chapel, some of them. Um, you know, they stayed away from those during the Jesus movement, right? Because yeah. they had all these liberal hippies, you know, throwing away their drugs and coming to the Lord, so they wanted to avoid the political side. Well, what, what, what has that wrought? What has that wrought? Well, it wrought the last two years uh, of, of destroying culture, family, children, the unborn, freedom, liberty. Um, they got the script all wrong. It's actually in preaching against those things and mobilizing and inspiring the church to action that you give the culture a reason to listen to you. Come on. Because I know D, I know deists, Caleb. I, I know I know theists who are not born again, and there are many people like this who are who are passionately against abortion, and they have no respect for evangelicalism. They have no respect for the Protestant Church. They don't want to listen to us. You know why? Why? Because they say you don't even you don't even do anything about what you as a Christian ought to believe as a genocide. Because hey, Christian, you tell me that your Savior entered human history in a uterus. To redeem mankind from their sins. You tell me, when you read the Christmas story in Luke, you tell me that your Savior identified with you at your most vulnerable stage and took on fetal flesh and was fully God and fully human from the moment of conception, and then you tell me that that second member of the Trinity who became a fetus is God, which means that he knits life together in the womb. So you're saying your God became an unborn child and safely dwell in the location that your apathy has made so dangerous for other children, <laughs> who also would have been created in the image of God according yeah. to your own theology. So now tell me how you can justify your apathy silence on this genocide, or voting for the very party lynching what you would believe would be your neighbors in the womb, so that you can give a trumpet to the gospel? And Francis Schaeffer hit the nail on the head many decades ago. If the church can't speak out against something as evil as killing a baby, then the world has the right to ask whether Christ is real. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And it's just, it is mind-blowing. And I've had so many people within the last several years of me pastoring at this church, I've had people come to me and say, listen, Caleb, I I have I know people that was a, a small girl was raped and 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 we had to we had to abort the baby because this this ten year old girl this eleven year old girl this twelve year old girl had to had to you know have an abortion because she was raped and you you can't you can't be okay with that and I was just like no I'm not okay with rape you should you should kill the rapist not the baby 
And so, <laughs> right. but I, I just, I'm just blown away by the, the absolute apathy. That, that's the word we have to use when it comes to Christians standing up against this wicked, well, yes. and, wicked and ideology. Point, we have to say as Christians that apathy equals permission. I mean, silence equals permission. At some point, we just have to say that. Yeah. And now, now, you know, you can't say that about absolutely everything, you know, because no, no Christian who's just a good dad, who's trying to support his family and keep them fed and pay the mortgage, can, can successfully engage in ev- against every injustice, you know, and speak sure. about it all the time. Uh, is, uh, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're fallible, right? We only have so much energy. I, you know, I'm not saying that like silence on anything equals permission of that thing. Right. But, but we're talking not just about one of many issues, right? Okay. We're not talking about one of many issues. It's a singular uh, issue. Yeah, we're talking about the issue, life itself. Yeah. Um, and, and now, now we've been under replacement rate in America for many, 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 many decades, despite the lies of overpopulationism, you know, by, by billionaires and, and the technocrats and the Democrat Party. We, we, have an under, we have an underpopulation problem, and, and, and that's only being exacerbated, of course, by abortion. Yeah. Um, and, but so when you're talking about genocide, when you're talking about the mutilating of about 850,000 to a million children a year alone in America, uh, yes, silence does equal permission. Yeah. Um, and and, and we, we, we levy those kind of accusations against Christians on slavery and Christians on the Holocaust and Christians, on child, Christians during child slavery and all these horrific injustices. At what point is the church going to look in the mirror and say, I have given permission yeah. to abortion in the culture of death? And so... Keep blowing the trumpet, brother. So here's my next, my final question for you. What what can the average Joe in the pew? What can we do? What can what can what can the average Joe do in church to to fight against this this wickedness? Yeah, amen. So live today like you tell yourself, Christian, you would live if you took a time machine with Marty McFly back to 1850s America. Live today. And ask yourself how you ought to live today if they weren't killing babies, but they were killing Jews. If they weren't killing unborn babies, but they were killing five-year-olds. If they weren't killing unborn babies, but they were killing your children. Now, uh, the abortion issue is a little different. You can't just, like, throw a pregnant woman in in your pickup truck and drive her away and keep her from getting an abortion. It's a little more complex than if mothers were escorting the hands of their five-year-olds into killing centers. I think Christians would try to kidnap the children from their parents, which would not be kidnapping. It would be kid-saving. Uh, so I understand the complexities of the abortion debate and how that changes. But the bottom, the bottom line, the, the underlying principle is the same. Right? These are persons. They're image bearers. They're human beings. Um, and their value does not come from their size or their level of development you know, or their location or how dependent they are. In fact, it's, all, it's because they're smaller, less developed, and more dependent that we have, uh, we have greater reason to love and support them for the same reason that we have greater responsibilities towards infants, right, and the severely disabled, because they need more help. The same is true of little babies. And so, and so if, you, if you think you would have been engaged against the Holocaust in Germany or slavery in America, then, then how are you going to engage this Holocaust and this injustice? And so yeah. if you live somewhere within driving distance of an abortion center, if they were killing two-year-olds, would you be outside of that? The, the doors of death trying to stop the killing of two-year-olds. I think most Christians tell ourselves we would. So, the, so do we believe it's a life? Do we believe the value is the same? And if you're yeah. a Christian, then you're actually biblically required <laughs> to, to say that the value is the same. And if you're not willing to say that, you don't believe that, 
um, then then you have a problem with the authority of scripture. You, you right? You you have a you have a personal issue there that you actually need to ask yourself. Do you believe the scriptures are divinely inspired and authored by God, written by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit? Do you actually believe that or not? Because yeah. the scriptures are very clear. The value is the same. And, and so, how are we going to live in the time and space that God has placed us? I think supporting pro-life ministries um, and voting pro-life is actually just the beginning of our responsibility. If you have if you have the means, you should give to pro-life ministries. I launched a brand new one called the White Rose Resistance. I'm a pain in the rear, a fly in the ointment, and a stick in the eye to the culture of death. I've been raised up to do it, and I work hard to refine myself into a spear thrown straight into the heart of the abortion industrial complex. And if you support the White Rose Resistance, we're going to be one of the premier pro-life fighting organizations within the next three, five, and then an international movement within 10 years, and I believe that. Um, so we'd love your support. You need to vote pro-life. That's the beginning of the Christian's responsibility against this Holocaust, too, yeah. not the end, which is how many Christians treat it. You should be supporting your local pregnancy resource center. You should be asking the Lord how you can use your time, talent, and treasure to promote life in the city, county, and state that you live in. And then it's about time, lastly, for the church to get political, Caleb. Um, and so we'll, maybe we'll cap the show by going back to your comment about your congregants saying you were too political um, and, uh, and, that, and that you shouldn't be political. You should, quote, just preach the gospel, whatever that means. Um, in America, Caleb, there's actually no such thing as not being political. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it's a fantasy. Touch it away with the tooth fairy, okay? It doesn't exist. There is no such thing as not being political in America. That's what, that's what the Ed Stetzers and Rick Warrens tell themselves to massage their conscience so they can continue getting the ties of their registered Democrats who attend their church, whose political sensibilities they don't want to offend with the full counsel of God, full oh. stop. There's no such thing as not being political. Why? Because in America, we, the people, are the sovereign. The people in power rule at our pleasure and consent. At least that's how it's supposed to be. Supposed we don't to be, have right. the time to start that conversation. <laughs> right. but, but all things being equal, that's how it ought to be, and to some degree that is still how it is. Yeah. Obviously the election of Trump was, was this great, you know, was this great thorn in the side to the liberal establishment because they didn't believe that that should be allowed to happen. Right. That's, they, they, that's why they say our democracy is in danger. What are you talking about? Democracy is when the people get what they want. They got Trump. That's what they wanted. So that's literally democracy. But they say, no, they say Trump was the great threat to democracy, to which we should quote the Princess Bride. I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> uh, and, and so, so what, what does it actually mean to be an American? Well, in self-government, that's what it means. That's right. what it means. Self-government. And, and that's, that's a concept that most of the church actually doesn't even understand anymore. By the way, the, the broader culture doesn't understand that concept anymore either, Caleb. No. Self-government requires being an informed citizen. Being an informed citizen means knowing who's on your city council, who's on your school board, um, who's, who's, who's the county supervisor, who's the sheriff, uh, who are your state senators, um, who is your, um, your, your senator senator, uh, who are your representatives. Uh, it means understanding the issues and actually taking the time and due diligence to understand those issues and then to promote the ones that advance righteousness and to oppose the ones that promote wickedness. Yep. Most American citizens, including Christians, Caleb, couldn't even tell you the names of their local elected offices nope. and who sits in those seats. So how are they expected to, to participate in self-government? when they don't know what they need to know to participate in self-government. So that would be the final answer to your question is we actually have to get political because that word has been dirtied. It's been tarnished. And the Johnson Amendment, which is, again, a podcast for another time, has been one of the single largest tools that Satan has used to castrate 
the public witness of the church mm-hmm. and convinced us that we need to stay silent to keep our 501c3 tax write-off status. Um, it's about time we get political and participate in self-government um, to be a steward of what God has given us, because we will be judged to a larger degree by what we were given to manage. That's the parable of the talents. And so when Paul says that, that, that the church, you know, we must submit to the governing authorities for their place, there for your good, you know, and that was used by the people like, you know, um, Stanley, Stanley, what's his name? Something Stanley Andy, in Georgia. Andy. Um, you know, you talk about a silent shepherd. Good yeah. Lord, is that man. I wouldn't even call him a shepherd. You know, <laughs> yeah, Andy, Andy Stanley. Yeah, he's not a shepherd. He's an enemy, right? Who, who, yeah. who preaches a message in the summer of 2020 that I watched, brother, in the summer of 2020. So this is early on in the scandemic. Yeah. Saying that he was keeping his church shut until... 2021, even though there had been no public health, quote-unquote, requirement to do so yet. And he said the reason he was doing that was because he loved his neighbor. And he said, this is how we love our neighbor right now, because Romans 13, obey the governing authority. Once again, I don't think that word means what you think it means, Andy Stanley, because Paul was not writing to a constitutional republic. So if Paul wrote Romans 13 to American Christians, and he says you must submit to the governing authorities, okay, here's the question, Caleb, who's the governing authority in America? (laughs) We, the The people. people... We, the people, are the governing authorities. And so we actually have to get more political because we will be judged by how we managed, handled, and stewarded self-government. So when wicked policies happen, they always happen with the consent of the people because we continue to allow the Nancy Pelosi's and the Chuck Schumer's, and the list goes on and on and on, to be elected. We're not seeking to influence secular governments for God's purposes. The blame is on us. Amen. And so that's a concept that is new, unfortunately, in, in modernity in the 21st century in Christendom, because we've been adopting these truncated, myopic talking points about Christianity and culture. Uh, and so that's why I'm so, so thankful for the work of my friend Charlie Kirk and my pastor Rob McCoy of Turning Point USA Faith, that's existing to wake up, inspire, and then mobilize the church to participate in self-government, to do as Jeremiah actually says, Caleb, which is to to demand the welfare of the city. Demand it. Demand yeah. the welfare of the city where, in, where you are in exile. For in her welfare, you will find your welfare, which means that it's not actually just about us. It's about our children grandchildren, future generations, and the next generation of Christendom to give the biggest megaphone to the gospel possible. And here's my final line. We're not selfishly demanding our rights by participating in politics. We're actually exercising our responsibility. Amen. Amen. Well, Seth, I appreciate you being on the program today and sharing your heart and your ministry and your passion. Um, You guys can find more about Seth at sethgruber.com. And you can you can check out the tour, the information. You can watch some of his messages there. Um, you, you go yeah, around. You can go to the white rose dot life. www dot the white rose dot life. Not dot com. The white rose dot life to check out the white rose resistance and our national life tour as well. We're booked all the way through May already, um, but we're booking through the summer and fall. That's filling up fast as well. And so if you want to get involved in an organization that plays offense with a sense of urgency to win the abortion war and give God a reason to show this country mercy, uh, we'd love your support, and, and thank you for your voice, Caleb. That's fantastic, brother. Appreciate you so much. You too. Diversified Systems Resources is a technology company based in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, that's been in business for 39 years. Are you looking for a stable employer? 
clean office environment, fun teammates, and a day that is always new and exciting, then email us your resume today at dsrjobs at dsrglobal.com. DSR, we deliver technology.